Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Kip on Learning podcast, where we share insights, inspiration, and challenges from across the Kip network. My name is Jamal Free Pacheco, and I'm an alum from Kip NYC and the director of the National Alumni Network at the Kip Foundation. This summer, we hosted our second Kip Alumni Summit in Washington, D.C., with over 300 alumni from around the country. In the span of three days, we were proud to offer 29 sessions focused on professional development, financial well being, and mental health, nearly half led by our very own KIPP alumni. We are excited to share some of those session highlights as bonus content for the KIPP on Learning podcast. Listen to this episode on Demystifying Tech, a roadmap for a successful tech career with guests Andrew Baines, podcast producer and host of Custom Journeys, Geraldine Rodriguez, CEO of The Knowledge House, Joel Ramirez, Chief Technology Officer at QuirkChat, and Simone May, CTO and co-founder of Clutch. We hope you enjoy the content. And if you want to learn more about our programs, visit www.kip.org forward slash alumni. All right, so if you're not in a tech career, in a tech career already, hopefully after you watch this presentation or you hear from these great panelists, you'll be inspired to pursue it and just maybe have a better understanding of what options are out there. I want to go ahead and kick it off. I'm going to let them do their own bios, but serving on this panel today is a very talented group. I'll start off with closest to me, Joel Ramirez, followed by Simone May, and then lastly, Geraldine Rodriguez. So very talented individuals, and we'll go ahead and get into it. So I'll kind of start off by talking about myself real brief. My background is mechanical engineering. I started a podcast last year with a good friend of mine who is a KIPP alum named Eliseo Iglesias. The whole goal of the podcast is to encourage and spotlight Black and Latinos within STEM careers. And so me being a mechanical engineer, I didn't re- meet very many black engineers, people of color in general. And I realized that the people that I did meet, they had a really big impact on me and then encouraging me to pursue the career that I pursued. And so I figured, hey, why not start a podcast? That's the way to change the world. Like the, the keynote speaker said earlier in this day and age. So we started this podcast where we interviewed people like Joel and Simone and Geraldine as well. And so um, now I'm making this, hopefully this will be a full time job in the future but I also moonlight as a tech recruiter. So I can kind of give you a little bit of insight in terms of what I look for when trying to find and source candidates for different roles. First on the panelists, we have Geraldine Rodriguez. She's the CEO of The Knowledge House, which is a great organization, ran out of, started in New York, but now nationwide. And she's helping hundreds and hopefully thousands in the near future uh, get into tech, high paying tech careers. Geraldine, I kind of gave the intro, but feel free. Is there anything I missed out right there? Anything you want to? That was a good pitch. You did a great job, Andrew. Uh, Thanks uh, for having me. Thanks for inviting me. Um, The Knowledge House has been in operations for eight years, and we are currently in New York, Atlanta, Los Angeles, and Newark, New Jersey. And we teach code design and cybersecurity to young people. So high school youth, but also adult job seekers. So as Andrew said, we have placed hundreds in tech jobs at companies like Bloomberg, Citibank, Red Hat, small companies, nonprofits. So happy to speak on that and happy to join the panel. Awesome. Next up on the panel, we got my boy Joel Ramirez. So I met this guy probably last year sometime. He is a 2019 graduate of a coding boot camp. Anybody familiar with what those are? 
Booyah. Booyah. All right. So graduated coding bootcamp in 2019. He is now the chief technology officer for a great startup company called Quirkchat. And Joel, why don't you tell us a little bit about Quirkchat and kind of what you do? Just real brief. Yeah, sure thing. So I'm just going to let everybody know I'm nervous. So I might stutter a little bit. Don't, don't quote me for that. All right. <laughs> But um, essentially, QuirkChat started off as a, uh, a small startup that's basically building a social media app for geeks to be able to connect to other geeks around whatever fandom they may be a part of. Currently, right now, they're going through a rebrand uh, under a new name called Recess, which is going to be basically taking that same idea, but focusing more on giving people a fun way to take a break from your typical social media experience and be able to connect with other people who have similar interests. But I've been I'm CCO with them for about going on a, just about a year now, which is pretty crazy to think how time has passed. But um, I come from a software engineering background. Uh, like you said, I started off doing a coding boot camp because I was a college dropout, but I wanted to still make something of myself. And I knew that if I had the skills, I would be able to make it into tech. And it ended up working out for me. And now, because of my experience, I started a YouTube channel where I talk about getting into software engineering or any other tech role for other people like me, Black and Latinx. I'm mixed just to give them an opportunity to see like other ways to get into the industry if you may not have the opportunity to go to college or to have the right network to kind of get you started. So really excited to be here. Gotcha. Oh, glad to have you. Um, but last and not least, but not least, is Simone May. She is the chief technology officer as well, but at Clutch, a uh, marketplace for creators and emerging brands. And um, Simone is another talented individual, software engineering background, um, I'd love, love for her to introduce herself now. I'm Simone. I think Andrew made a great introduction. I'll tell you guys a little bit about Clutch. We connect the next generation of creators to businesses looking for social media marketing help. So we're a platform and we've been around for like three years. Uh, we recently pivoted about six months ago to this new offering, I guess you could say. And I'm the CTO and co-founder. So I started this company with my best friend, Madison. And yeah, we're based out of Houston. And it's really nice to meet you guys. And thank you for giving you the uh, space and opportunity to talk to you guys today. Awesome. All right, so cool. So I love conferences because you get a chance to meet and network with so many great people, but I really tried to put together a panel of experts and give you guys some information that can help you build a roadmap for your career that you want in tech. And so really what I want you guys to be able to walk, with, walk away with is knowing the next steps in your journey to be successful in your career. And so I always like to start with the end of mind. So we're going to start off, I'm going to take you four different spots. We're going to look at the self-assessment. What are your current skills? What job opportunities are out there? Then we're going to talk about upskilling and workforce development programs that are available, such as the Knowledge House, that can help you get the skills necessary for your tech career. We're also going to talk about different communities and groups that are available that can help you network and get plugged into the community. And then lastly, some tips for landing the job. And so, number one, starting off with self-assessment, I think it's really important to look at where you're at today, what skills do you have, even if you're not in the ideal job that you want. So let's say you're in a nonprofit space or let's say you're an uh, educator. I meet so many teachers that want to change careers. Wherever you're at, it's important to look at what are your skills that you have, what do you enjoy doing, and what job opportunities are out there. And Joel, I think a lot of people, when they hear the word tech, they think automatically computer programmer, sitting behind the computer all day. If that's not something that you want to do, make sure you don't sign up to just be a programmer just because that's the hot button. But Joel, can you kind of explain to the audience in your experience what kind of both technical and non-technical career options are out there for people? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there's a plenty of different opportunities in tech just because of how tech has become so ingrained in our society. Nowadays, tech is going to be involved in every sector. 
You can be in finance, you can be in nonprofit organizations, you can be education. The, more, the further along we get, more technology is going to be integrated. When it comes to different tech roles, I kind of view tech roles from two sides. You have like your technical skills, right, which are going to be like your hard skills like coding and uh, technical writing and things of that nature. And then you have more soft skill focused uh, roles, which are going to be things that require you to leverage a lot more communication skills, whether that's in sales or doing um, developer relations or project management and things of that nature. So one of the things that I always recommend people to do is take a look at some of the things that you know you're already good at. And if you have trouble kind of reading the label from the inside the jar, ask people around you who know you, say, hey, what do you notice that I'm really good at? Am I good at talking to people? Am I good at explaining things? And what you can then do is find roles that kind of leverage that ability a little bit more. So for me, I was always a technical person. I started off as a uh, graphic designer. I was really into drawing, ended up transitioning to, to digital art. And then from there, I got into web design, which led me to coding. So I kind of found that transition myself. But some other people, like I have a friend of mine who is a lot better at just talking to people. She ended up going into sales, in tech sales, and eventually became what's known as a solutions architect, which basically is somebody who builds custom solutions for a tech company for a client. And basically, she's the middle woman in between those transactions. And she's able to have a very thriving, successful career within the tech field without having to touch a line of code. Outside of like coding and things of that nature, you have design roles, you have sales roles, and things of that nature. Awesome. Thank you, Joel. So we put together a list of different jobs out there. On the left, we have some that have technical requirements, such as, hey, you might need to know Python, JavaScript, React, whatever the case may be. And then on the right, those are some of the jobs that Joel already just mentioned. So you guys can think about, hey, what skill sets do I have? So like, if you're kind of like the person that Joel mentioned, you're outgoing, you like talking and meeting with people, you may want to think about the non-technical track in terms of marketing or whatever the case may be, or being a tech recruiter, which can be very uh, lucrative as well. Um, we kind of already talked about it, Simone, a little bit in terms of not wanting to, me personally, I have a, a technical background, but I do not stand, I can't stand being behind the computer for eight hours a day. I need a job that gives me like versatility back and forth. So I'm not the one that's going to sign up for a software engineering job. And I know like from knowing your own personal story of majoring in computer science to where you are now, you've kind of been able to figure out what's the best fit for you. So can you kind of talk about your experiences on this tech journey and how you figured out that software engineering behind the computer for eight hours a day is not the right position for you? Yeah, definitely. So I started at Purdue as a computer science major. And I think, first of all, I realized, okay, everyone here is way smarter than me. And I knew that I had to kind of be more resourceful. I was like one of three black women in the program. There were about 500 people that started out in the program when I was a freshman. And by the time I graduated, there were 200 people. So they really do their best to weed you out on top of the fact that you look very different and you stand out. So that was like a layer that I already felt like was working against me. Additionally, I enjoyed math and science growing up and I started out in software engineering because I had actually done like an HTML course in high school. So I was like, oh, this seems like fun. It was really cool to see how like literal words and like a whole new language translated onto a computer and look com could look completely different. So I realized about three years into my college career that I didn't necessarily enjoy coding. I really enjoyed the aspects of leading a team of developers through my knowledge of what coding and software engineering means. You know, what are the different languages? What are the different frameworks? What are the different ways in which you can go about building one thing and build it really efficiently? So um, I actually had an opportunity to work at Accenture as a technology consultant, 
which gave me the opportunity to understand what it's like to be in the center of working with a developer and translating a business need into a technical or software solution. So that's sort of how I was able to find something where I could sit in the center, sort of like what Andrew's talking about, and I realized that I really, really enjoyed it. And so we're both CTOs here, but like I thought, I call myself more of a CTPO, which is a chief technology and product officer, because a lot of what I do is I really translate what our business needs are um, that come down the pipeline from marketing and sales into something that somebody could actually use as a end user on a you know mobile app or a website. So yeah. So real quick question for you, Simone and Joel. As CTOs, are you guys programming at all or is it more so higher level managing the teams and being able to translate the business needs into like what do I need, what lines of code need to be written by the team? I'm basically like a scrum master and product owner. So I lead like daily standups. I come up with our product debt, which is like something where let's say you guys have an idea, right? Just out of the blue, you think you want to create the next best social media quirk chat. And you're like, what do you need in order to be able to build a mobile app? Well, first, you might need to be able to find a way for somebody to sign up, sign in. You know what I mean? Those types of things are user stories that developers actually need in order to be able to do their work in addition to like graphic designs and everything else. So I really um, work very closely with Madison and our marketing and sales team. And I keep bringing up marketing and sales because I think people underestimate how important marketing and sales is to a product team. Like, we don't go until they say green light. Like, and that's what this whole thing is about. There are careers out there where you don't necessarily need to be technical in order to work in tech. And marketing and sales is so important for that. Like, they tell us what to do because they understand the customer need better than anybody else. And you shouldn't build a solution around a customer you don't understand. I started out building out the solution from a tech perspective very early, but now I'm more on the lead side. Awesome. And for myself, I think it really comes down to the size of the company that you're working for and what you're building, right? So for somebody like me working at a, a very small startup, I wear a lot of hats. Yeah, my, my title is CTO, my hands are dirty in the code. Uh, I'm just as active in the code base as the one engineer who works underneath me. But in other roles, if you're working at a larger company, the, the larger your organization becomes, the more you start abstracting yourself as a higher level associate um, out of that day-to-day -day work because you have to be able to focus on developing the strategy, developing the roadmap, and then passing that off to the people you hired to do the more specific tasks you hire them for. And if that's like hiring developers for development or marketing, a marketing team for you know, marketing and advertising, or even like an outreach team for you know, customer outreach and customer success and things of that nature. So with that being said, even with like a title like CTO, if you're at a small company, you can be doing a lot more things outside of yeah. a traditional like CTO at you know, Goldman Sachs or something like that. Yeah, right. <laughs> gotcha, awesome. All right, so now, so we already talked about what options are out there, assessing your own personal skill set that you have. Now let's talk about gaining those technical skills to get you from where you're at, point A to point B. And back in the day, I graduated high school in 2008. When I graduated, college was the only option. Now you have coding boot camps, you have online certifications, and you also have great organizations like the Knowledge House that are here to provide non-traditional pathways for people to get into tech. So Geraldine, can you tell us a little bit about the Knowledge House and what you guys do to help people pivot into technologies, careers? Yeah, absolutely. So. 
first of all, everything that um, Joelle and Simone have been sharing resonates. So I actually started the Knowledge House because of our CTO, who's also our co-founder, and he taught himself how to code, right? So to answer that question up there, he's a self-taught coder because he was looking at YouTube videos. You know what I mean? So literally, you can learn anything on YouTube these days, right? Absolutely. But um, he, he did go to college. He studied marketing at a CUNY school, did not like digital marketing, so he taught himself how to code, and now he's a CTO. So I think in terms of why we started the Knowledge House, I saw him go from minimum wage to six figures because he taught himself how to code, right? Still with a college degree, he was underemployed, not making money, and code really changed his life. So we got together and we said, we need to replicate your experience for all these kids in the Bronx first, and now we're nationwide. So um, I have seen, thank you. Um, I have seen so many pathways into tech careers and it's hardly linear, right? So if you, you know, are in college and for some reason you have to stop out or you decide that college is not for you, there are trade schools Right, there are coding boot camps, um, for-profit coding boot camps. Uh, sometimes you could get scholarships to these boot camps. Sometimes you go for free and then you pay like a percentage of your first salary. Um, and then there's nonprofits that also do this. Traditionally, there are several nonprofits that have taught IT and like computer help desk support, but now a lot of nonprofits are teaching code. And so the Knowledge House is one, but there's Year Up, Perscolas, and Power. I'm sure that y'all have heard of boot camps like General Assembly, uh, Flatiron. So at the Knowledge House specifically, we have a one-year program. And so we teach data science skills, web development, cybersecurity, and UX UI. And so we serve students that are in college and they just want extra career support. Folks that are out of college, they've stopped out. Folks that have gone to like trade schools or like they've gotten an IT certification and now they want to learn how to code. So they do our program for a year. It's nine months of evening job training and then three months internship uh, where like, you know, we work with a bunch of companies throughout the year to match um, our students to mentors, to tutors. They go to industry events like tech meetups, right? Like you can even learn how to code just by connecting with folks at tech events and learning the tech jargon. But what I've seen is because we have this one year program, there are folks that even like after a year, they're not master coders, but to your points, they could get jobs because they have a, like, like a good overview. Mm -hmm. So we have students for example, if they're in the data science track, they can leave and just do data analytics or they can do data engineering um, or they could become a data scientist. Um, but then sometimes they're project managers, product managers, scrum masters. So I think um, just having a good understanding of tech and knowing what different options are out there can like open so many doors for you. But it's definitely about networking, being resourceful and taking advantage of, of programs. Yeah, awesome. So big takeaway, there's so many options out there. Like if you want to go back to college, you can go back to college, but you have organizations like the Knowledge House, um, like Full Stack Academy, General Assembly, all the ones that Gerald named, and then even some on the screen. Um, mm -hmm. One big one that I'll kind of highlight real quick is tech apprenticeship programs. Anybody heard of those before? A few people? Okay. Mm -hmm. So literally like you can get hired and get paid to learn technology skills. And so Airbnb, Pinterest, um, and then even some nonprofits have tech apprenticeship programs where they'll pay you somewhere between $20 an hour full time to learn. And then at the end of that process, you'll be matched up with an employer. 
So make sure you guys are checking out the Knowledge House, these tech apprenticeship programs and all these other resources that are out there to kind of help you and um, just make a more equitable future. You don't have to worry about student loan debt and all that. So moving on to the next one, next question. Um, we kind of hit on coding boot camps. They're really, really popular. I, I learned most stuff from YouTube, like your CTO, Geraldine. But Joel, for you, since you went through the coding boot camp, um, can you kind of tell us a little bit about the coding boot camp style in terms of length and how much money it costs? And then the last question overall, is it worth the money, worth the investment that you paid? Yeah, sure thing. So uh, to give you guys a little bit of a background, at a high school, I had an idea of what I wanted to do, right? So I, I was like, you know, I want to go to college. I want to get my bachelor's in computer science. See, I was always told, like everybody else, go get your degree, go land your job, make your money, retire, right? The thing is, I didn't have anybody to be able to pay for my college. So anything I did, I would have to do myself. And I wasn't a fan of like having 60 and 100K in debt coming out of college. So I was trying to find alternative methods to kind of get there. And what I decided to do was I ended up getting a scholarship to a community college that allowed me to go take my gen ed classes, my basic level courses there. And I was going to transfer from there to my the University of North Carolina at the time to take my specialized classes, save a little bit of money. I had a double whammy as well because I lived in South Carolina at the time, so I would have to pay out-of-state tuition, even though it was like up 10 miles away. Long story short, I had a bad counselor slash advisor in, my, um, in the technical college, lost my scholarship, and as a result, when I ended up transferring after doing what I had to do to kind of get my credits in line, uh, my GPA was a little shy of being able to declare my major. So at that point, I decided I wasn't going to continue the college route because I didn't want to have to be forced into paying so much money. Started looking at alternative options, and that's when I discovered a coding boot camp. Now, at the time, coding boot camps were still very much new. There, wasn't, they're not, there weren't nearly as many as there are now. So it was very sketchy. I was looking online, trying to find like reviews. What, there was this one site that had like three reviews for the coding boot camp I was looking at. I ended up going to one that was sponsored by the University of North Carolina. They partnered with a company called Trilogy, which has mixed reviews now, offering a full stack web development coding bootcamp. It was, uh, they offered two different pathways, a three-month path and a six-month path. I was a glutton for punishment, so I wanted to do the three-month path. They also recommend that you don't have a job while you're doing it because they want you to spend a lot of time outside of the bootcamp itself studying. I didn't do that because I wanted to work and I, <laughs> I had to work and I also didn't want to do the three-month path because, you know, and uh, long story short, it ended up being worth it though. Um, I was taught a lot of the basic skills I needed to know to be able to go from zero to, I wouldn't say 100, but zero to 80 in terms of the uh, development space, learning what, what it takes to be a developer, learning a lot of the basic web technologies. And as a result, afterwards, I was able to land my first engineering job about six, no, not six months, it was four months after I graduated, applying off and on. Nowadays, are coding boot camps worth it? I would definitely say yes, uh, but there's a lot more scrutiny you have to have about determining what's going to work for you. Because there's a lot of different, one, there's a lot more coding boot camps out there now, and a lot of them have mixed reviews because there's varying levels of quality. It really comes down to having the right instructor, making sure you're choosing a reputable company, um, and determining which cost you're going to take, whether that's some coding boot camps will cost like a lump sum. Like for me at the time, I didn't have the money to pay for a coding boot camp outright. It cost me 15 grand. I ended up pulling a Sally May loan uh, because it, it, found, it basically fell under extended education. Uh, so I pulled a Sally May loan at the time, took a risk on myself, and uh, ended up paying that to complete, you know, complete my certificate. You have some coding boot camps that are more expensive. Um, General Assembly is one that I believe is a little bit more expensive, but they also have really good reviews. The woman I mentioned earlier who became a solutions architect, she ended up going through General Assembly. Um, 
And then you have some that are doing like uh, profit share kind of agreements right. where you don't pay anything while you're going through the boot camp. And then post-graduating, once you get your first job, you, say you make an agreement to pay a certain percentage of your first year's salary mm-hmm. to the boot camp afterwards. So there's a lot of different options out there. I wouldn't rush to say immediately go to a boot camp because the biggest thing I would say is uh, figure out what your learning style is. If I could do it all over again, I definitely would have tried to go the self-taught route and save that money because I know that I would have been able to because there's so much information out there online. But if you're somebody who knows that you're not going to be able to thrive without a more structured program or a more like uh, directed approach to how you learn and a more structured approach to what you're going to learn and what steps, then I would say explore boot camps or even explore college if that's your, if that's your game. Gotcha. One quick follow-up. So 15 grand was the cost of the boot camp. When you landed your first job post boot camp, what job was that and like how much did they pay you roughly for that? Sure. So coming out of uh, the boot camp, it cost me 15 grand. I ended up uh, starting on an internship. I had met another uh, developer in a, in a Starbucks and I uh, started talking to him and he ended up bringing me on as an intern at his, uh, his uh, startup that he was working on. But it wasn't really anything crazy until I got my first job uh, as a junior software developer at a company called Armstrong Transport Group. And uh, there, I landed, my first job landed me 65000 a year. And uh, for me, that was a lot of money because at the time I was working at T-Mobile making, you know, sub 35, you know, so coming, doubling my income was, was amazing. But coming into, the, into uh, Armstrong and seeing all the developers around me, I knew one other developer, his name is Jesse. And uh, he had went from, he transitioned out of accounting going into coding. He was also self-taught. And he was started making six figures in less than two years just because he grinded and was, you know, going online, finding resources to upskill himself. And he was able to make that transition from junior to a mid, mid-senior within less than two years. So I told myself I wanted to do the same thing and I made it happen. So here's the thing, right? Nothing's going to fully prepare you for whatever job you take. No matter what job you take, you're always going to learn on the job. Right. Because everything you do is contextual, right? Everybody has their own industries. They have their own products they're building. So what the boot camp taught me was two things. One, it taught me the technical languages, the skills, the languages I needed to learn to be a web developer. So at the time, that was like HTML, JavaScript, um, and a couple other stacks that allowed you to build like websites and other you know, web applications. The second thing that it taught me was how to learn quickly. And that's what's most important, in my opinion, is because um, the boot camp is very rigorous in this approach. Like It's structured, and they give you, like a, you know, an, uh, a syllabus, and they tell you, you know, the first two weeks, we're going to learn this, and then we're going to learn this. The biggest thing is like boot camps will give you a, 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 simple, a simpler analogy that I put it is that boot camps will teach you the tools to build a house. And they'll help you build a house, but it may not be up to code. Like if I look at a, like the house that I built versus the general contractor, my house is going to be standing, but it's not going to look the same quality as theirs, right? Mm-hmm. College, they'll teach you the tried and true methods of building a house, why people build the houses the way they build them now. And that's a lot more like the wisdom behind the tools you're using. So if you go to a boot camp, it's definitely important that you also take the time outside the boot camp to learn why the tool, what, what are the best ways that you, to use the tools that you've learned. And that's what boot camps won't teach you because they can't in that short amount of time. They're trying to upskill you so you can jump into the industry, right? And that's what, why boot camps kind of get a lot of flack now is uh, because they're churning out developers or web developers specifically. Um, and these web developers will know how to use certain tools, but they don't know the best way to use them. They don't know the best patterns and practices or those fundamentals. Um, and a lot of that is just left on you to be able to go and research and discover yourself. 
Any other questions? What we're going? Good. All right, cool. So um, I think a big, big part of just any career journey in general is being able to get plugged into a community. And I think it's something that a lot of times when you're fresh out of college, you kind of ignore and don't realize the importance of it. So, Geraldine, from your standpoint, your opinion, can you kind of talk about the importance of being associated with a community and different organizations for helping you have a successful tech career? Yeah, I think um, at the Knowledge House, community is so important. One, because a lot of our students come in feeling imposter syndrome. So they really mm. don't see people who look like them working in tech. Um, and, you know, we need to support them by matching them with people of color that are in tech. A lot of companies have ERG groups now. So we try to like target those groups so that they can volunteer, tutor our students. Um, so all of that is important. For us, um, we try to build a safe space so that folks can have tough conversations about code switching, you know, about um, how to navigate uh, company values when like they're different from your personal values. So I would say we have like our knowledge house community, but it's so important to also engage with industry. So the community needs to have both folks who look like you, but you also need to be in these spaces where people don't look like you so that you can get used to it, you know, and so that you can go into rooms feeling empowered. So I think tech meetups are so important. Like it's so important to network, like talk the jargon, practice it, you know, fail, but fail forward. Um, and it helps with interviewing too, right? Like if you can say, I went to a hackathon and I built this project, if a computer science grad has skills, but they haven't been going to hackathons, they probably don't have a lot of projects to show. You know what I mean? So networking and building connections is so important because through those connections, you get job offers, you get opportunities to build uh, products. Um, I get a lot of feedback from employers this goes to the previous question. A lot of employers um, say like they are frustrated that boot camp grads um, don't have like the theory of computer science, right? Like they don't have the foundations. But you also hear employers talking about computer science grads not having a portfolio that's robust. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So there's pros and cons to both. Um, but that's why community is so important because you have to keep learning and you learn from meeting other people and you learn through collaborating with other people. And sometimes you're not going to get that um, project based collaboration in every classroom setting. Mm -hmm. So you have to do work outside. Um, so I think all of that is community. Um, like just having a safe space to empower each other and also engage with the industry. And unfortunately, the industry is not all diverse. So um, just using community to feel empowered uh, is important. Hopefully that answers the question. Okay. 100%. Mm -hmm. um, just kind of adding to that, Simone, I know you've worked in both the tech industry and as a tech entrepreneur um, in your own personal experience, whether it's college or afterwards, um, how has being in an organization personally like improved your uh, career? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I think it ties directly to what um, Geraldine was just talking about. So I don't think I would have gotten through college without Nesby. So Nesby is a National Society of Black Engineers, and they're actually one of the largest run student organizations in the country. Um, it is nationwide, and it is not-for-profit, and actually started at Purdue. Um, and they offer services to students, like free tutoring. Um, they have 
community events across campus and they also have a professional arm so once you graduate similar to this once you graduate you can work you know network with Nesby professionals and so basically I think that that community was so key to my confidence at school because I think that without that community that support the financial support you get they have scholarships they have um, mentorships they have it's just such a wide range of support um, I think without that I don't think I would have felt nearly as confident in the computer science program at Purdue and Accenture is one of the largest employers in the world mm -hmm. and so I joined the black ERG at Accenture as well um, as like a fast follow and again I think that they were directly um, responsible for my successful what I would say was a successful career for the first three years while I was there um, because they helped me find what you call a career counselor which is basically the person that advocates on your behalf in order to get promoted I was promoted early because of that um, I think that they helped me to just again have people to just vent to, to bounce ideas off of find new projects like those types of communities it's important to show up though like you have to go to the events you have to be open to like meeting people and i am actually naturally an introvert i don't like meeting people all the time like i'm bad at following up but at the end of the day you have to kind of go outside of whatever your comfort zone is in order to really like propel your life and career forward like i don't think we would have had this startup if it weren't for my co-founder madison's natural ability to network and she networked her way into like getting one of landing one of our key investors um, that we have today. So like, I think that all of this is really important. Like, forty percent of your job is like hard skills, but sixty percent is soft skills. Most people land jobs and roles through networking. I hire people through networking, and we pay competitively. I think that net networking traditionally always gets you a job. Folks are really leaning on certifications more and more, especially when they don't have a lot of experience in tech. Um, and I think, unfortunately, right, like these certifications are like a stamp on your resume that says, I went through this training, you know, I got assessed and I have this badge, right? So it does help you um, get interviews faster. And I see that folks are um, like getting certifications on LinkedIn, you know, like now companies have their own certifications, like Google rolled out a whole suite of certs mm -hmm. ranging from like data analytics to IT to project management. So I would start there. Um, a lot of these are also low cost. And if you do your research, a lot of companies um, that have like the same vendors like Salesforce or like Amazon, like if you got a Salesforce certification or if you got an Amazon cert, you can get a job anywhere because most companies, that's what they use. You know what I mean? So I think if you find those jobs that are super popular and then just look at their job descriptions and, and, and see what makes you most competitive, right? Because if you don't have the five years of experience or if you don't have that computer science degree, you have to find something else to put on your resume. So certs, badges, um, online stuff. There's also like virtual internships now. Like people are getting really creative because companies are desperate. So I'm going to say don't give up for real because tech is not going anywhere. All good points. All great points. So um, kind of to close out the community discussion, these are just a list of a few different communities, some digital, some in-person communities that you guys can check out. 
I'd also recommend that you guys look on like meetup.com. Like some people say, hey, they have like single meetups and all that stuff. They also have tech meetups. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a good platform if you're trying to find a boo, but also like for example in Houston, I know they have a um what is it? A freecodecamp.org. Anybody heard of that website? So freecodecamp.org is like a free online website where it can walk you through being a web developer. They'll teach you like HTML, CSS, JavaScript. They even now have like data science certifications on there now. It's all for free. And in Houston, they have a meetup every first Monday of the month where everybody in Houston that's working on a project through freecodecamp.org, they'll meet up in person at a, at a building and they'll kind of work through the problems that they're having, network, and building that sense of community. I'm actually a member of the Black Code Collective. I'm an organizer here. Black Code Collective is uh, basically a uh, networking, black tech enterprise networking group here, specifically for DMV natives, for those of you who are in DMV. Um, but that we ended up having a lot of our members go in where there were panelists there and they were telling us how, how great it was. But I definitely recommend if you're interested in, in trying to get into tech um, or maybe you're in tech, you're trying to transition roles, being able to build your network at these type of conferences is a, a surefire way to, to make those connections because you'll meet a lot, especially if you go to ones that are black focused, just because you're going to have the culture that's there that's just going to entice you to want to be able to you know, intermingle with people. But also you're going to have people who are concentrated in an area that are all within the same industry. So you really increase the chances of you being able to create that serendipitous opportunity that gets you that role you're looking for. Yeah, exactly. And then even to piggyback earlier, Simone mentioned like NSBE, National Society of Black Engineers. Like, I can't tell you how many black engineers I know that got job offers on the spot by going to some of these conferences. So make sure you're taking advantage of each and every one. I can't say, I can't stress the importance of networking enough um, so you guys got to be out there. And then there's a statistic you can find online where 70% of the jobs that are filled are not even advertised online. So what that means is the people you know are going to be the ones that help get you in the door. So you got to be out there meeting people. Of course, start with your immediate family, immediate circle, black and Latino people, but also expanding beyond there, meeting white people, Caucasian, whatever, Asian, Indian, all that good stuff, um, because they're going to be able to help you as well. So don't just limit it. And I'm saying that because I found myself recently like when I go to networking events, I'm automatically gravitating to people that look like me. One thing that I always recommend is like, even if you're somebody like this uh, introvert or somebody who's not really too keen on trying to go to these big networking events with a bunch of people and walking up to people and saying, hi, I'm Bob, I'm trying to do X, Y, and Z. Just put yourself online and let people discover you and you have no idea what you're gonna unlock you know, for yourself doing it that way. So let's talk about landing these jobs. So. Simone, you be hiring people, giving people shots. Anybody looking for a job, maybe she'll help help you out. Um, what do you be looking for, Simone? Are you like, yo, I wanna, I wanna, I'm gonna hire this person or not? What do I be looking for? So, yeah, I think the so there's like I always like to start with three. So there's three major things that I think I look for. Um, the first is actually like self-taught people, but I look for somebody that wants to learn and wants to learn more and wants to grow and is also very open and flexible. So, and that's just specific to, I think, the startup industry. Um, I could also tell you what sometimes I think people in corporate America look for if you're interested, but just coming from the startup perspective and hiring for a startup, because there's so many different hats you have to wear, mm -hmm. I can't afford to hire someone that's not open-minded, flexible, and willing to learn, because that's also what I'm doing. The second thing I look for is diversity of thought. So not just like, you know, black, Latino, whatever. I look for somebody who's had a, a breadth of experience that influences their human experience. Because I look for somebody who's going to think more th about more than just the product, 
more than just the software. I need somebody who's thinking about the vision, who's thinking about what our ultimate goal is and how what they're doing is going to be applicable for our ultimate goal. Um, and in this case, our ultimate goal is to change the future of work, change the ideas around what is required for you to be able to have a high paying job. And so what does that mean when you're starting from sort of the beginning? Um, and then I think the third thing that I look for is, you know, obviously the hard skills based on the role. So like if I'm hiring for a front end engineer, I'm hiring for somebody that's within our tech stack, React, React Native, JavaScript. We work with AWS as our back end. Um, if I'm hiring for somebody that's more along a generalist line, like a product owner or a product manager, which we haven't actually done yet, I'm looking for somebody who knows how to build a roadmap, who knows how to talk the language not only with the developers, but also with the marketing team. Um, and then for designers, for example, I look for somebody who has experience with platforms such as Figma or Adobe. Um, so, you know, that's more so on the like hard skill side, but I put that third because like I said, I prioritize those first two things before the last, and that's always something that we've done. What I will say in, in your resume is that I actually don't care about your GPA. I actually don't care about what school you went to. I care about your portfolio. I care about mm -hmm. your this, the skills that you've been able to build, whether they're in a boot camp or something that's self-taught. I think that's usually what I look for. So just a couple of quick points um, from a recruiting standpoint, because I know a lot of you guys are trying to land jobs um, and everyone's going to keep progressing in their career. Number one, when a, the best way a recruiter can find you is number one, if you're on LinkedIn, and we kind of talked earlier about keywords in your profile, so project manager, make sure you have that in there, um, have that in your resume as well. And then also you want to upload your resume to these different sites like Indeed or other job posting platforms. Because from a recruiter standpoint, typically I use LinkedIn, secondary, I use Indeed. And so if your resume is not out there, or if your keywords aren't in your profile, when I search for that, I'm not going to find you. It doesn't matter if I'm trying to be intentional about hiring black and Latino employees. If I can't find you, I can't find you. So make it easier for the recruiter to find you. And then number two, um, make sure that you prepare for the interview to the best of your ability. So whether that's looking on YouTube videos, whether that's taking advantage of different resources like Carrot, Leak Code, and HackerRank, or the technical jobs that are out there, YouTube and Google is your best friend. Like Google or search how to get a job at whatever, or how to become a scrum master, whatever the case may be. So take advantage of everything online that you can find. So that concludes this panel. I hope you all enjoyed it. Let's pop it up for our panelists. They did a great job. Thanks for listening to the Kip on Learning podcast. If you like what you hear, Please subscribe to get alerts about new episodes and visit kip.org for job opportunities and information about our schools. We'll be back soon with even more inspiration and insights from our community.